as we turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, that is found on page 885. Daniel chapter 2 is found on page 885 and we're going to read from verse 26 through to verse 47. So Daniel 2 verse 26 to verse 47. A bit of context here. Daniel, amongst others, has been taken captive after Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonians. He is currently in Babylon, being ruled over by enemies of the nation. A terrifying experience, and that's the context uh, under which this dream is brought to the enemy king, to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel then explains this, both to the king and to God's people. Daniel 2, verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, Your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. 
Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Then the key verse that we're thinking of. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. <coughs> This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. And the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him.
the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Amen. We will be turning back to that passage later in the service. We're going to sing praise to Daniel chapter 2, found on page 885. Daniel 2, we're thinking especially this evening about verse 44. Do you ever get do you ever get discouraged whenever you think about the church? Whenever you think about the difficult situations that you know exist, or whenever you think about how small the church is and how big our job is, or do you ever get discouraged? When you think about the world, when you watch the news and you hear that Parliament are ignoring the Bible, or when you hear about Richard Dawkins releasing his latest book, do you ever get so discouraged that you feel like you're fighting a losing battle? You think about outreach in the church and you think that you just can't expect anything too big. Well, God has given us this passage in order to encourage us. God knows that sometimes our problem is that we don't see clearly. Spiritually, we are short sighted. We get so caught up with problems that we end up missing the big picture. And so tonight we're looking at this passage which paints for us that big picture. As I said it's found in the book of Daniel. At the point at which this dream comes God's people feel helpless. Jerusalem has been conquered. Men like Daniel and his friends are captives in Babylon. They are hundreds of miles away from home. It must have seemed to these men like the whole world has come crashing down. And it's in the midst of that that God sends this message. He sends a dream to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And Daniel, in verse 44, sums up the dream. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It shall crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it 
will itself endure forever. This dream tells us about five great kingdoms. The first four are strong and mighty. The fifth kingdom is completely different. There is something about it that sets it apart from all of the rest. And this evening we're going to be thinking about that fifth kingdom. And we're going to look at three different ways that this kingdom is better than all the rest. And hopefully as we do that we'll be encouraged as we see the big picture. So firstly, this kingdom is set up by God. This kingdom is set up by God. And we see that very clearly in verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. There's the fundamental difference between this kingdom and the other four. And the whole dream, I suppose, is simply an illustration of this fact. Nebuchadnezzar sees a great statue. The statue represents four great kingdoms, all of them established by men. I want you to try to picture the statue in your mind. It's enormous. It's staggering. It's the sort of thing you can see shining in the sun whenever you're standing miles away. You've got this great statue. And then, suddenly in the dream, the attention moves away from the statue and on to a simple piece of rock. Verse 34, we're told this piece of rock was cut out but not by human hands. This rock seems to just appear and Daniel explains for us this rock that suddenly appears is a picture of God's kingdom. There is something mysterious about it. It's impossible for us to pinpoint exactly where it begins. This rock simply exists. And that's all there is to it. But crucially, in verse 44, Daniel explains for us, it is God who set it up. God is the one who causes this kingdom to grow. God is the one who rules over the kingdom and if we were to move into the New Testament we would see even more specifically Christ is the one who rules the kingdom that is what makes it different now do you see why this would have encouraged Daniel He's a captive. He's hundreds of miles away from home. Jerusalem has been conquered. 
the temple has been plundered. Must have seemed to Daniel like the whole kingdom of God has crumbled. And so, what is the simple truth that God reminds Daniel? The kingdom belongs to God. He's the one who set it up. He's the one who rules over it. And so, it's just like we were thinking during the prayer time before the service. Even though everything seems to be a mess, God is in control. It's his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, and it's not made by human hands. And yes, for Daniel, it's very, very hard to understand. But God is working everything out in exactly the way that he has planned. It's important that Daniel knows this. But isn't it just as important that we know this? Sometimes, can't we despair? We pray for a friend's salvation. And no matter how much we pray, they simply don't want to know. Or we hear about arguments that divide the church. Or we organise an outreach event and barely anyone bothers to show up. We're reminded here, in spite of all of that, in the midst of all of that, God is in charge. God is in control, even when things go wrong. It's God's kingdom, and it's ruled by Christ. That's the first thing we see about this kingdom. And secondly, Christ's kingdom is everlasting. Christ's kingdom is everlasting. Have another look, please, at verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It shall crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Nebuchadnezzar, in his dream, sees this great statue. And like I said, this statue represents four great kingdoms. And the fascinating thing about this dream is that when it happened, some of these kingdoms didn't even exist. God's word predicted these things long before they even happened. So thinking about the statue, it has four parts. Each part of the statue represents a kingdom. I want you again to try to picture the statue in your mind. I want you to imagine 
that it's on TV. And the camera starts at the very top of the statue and slowly it pans its way down. So first of all, we have the head of gold. In verse 38, we are told the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Daniel tells him that. You are that head of gold. Then if you imagine the camera pans its way down, the head moves off the screen and instead we have the chest made of silver. There's a new kingdom. It has replaced the old one. Later on, perhaps you could read Daniel chapter 5 and you'll see this actually happening. The Medes and the Persians defeat Babylon. Back to the dream, just like before, the camera moves down. The chest disappears from the screen and instead we have the middle and the thighs of bronze. This time, it's the Greeks. The first two kingdoms are gone. And they are the ones who are in charge. This camera keeps on moving. The middle moves out of shot. And now we see the legs and the feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. The Greeks are finished and now the Romans are the greatest empire in the world. There you have about 1,000 years of world history summed up in just a few verses. doesn't go into much detail. It takes these glorious, incredible empires And it skims over them really quickly. But think, doesn't that tell us something about what the world is like? Time moves on. And even really great kings are very quickly forgotten. But in the passage, in the dream, there is one kingdom that is totally different. It's Christ's kingdom. It's this rock that suddenly appears on the scene. The statue crumbles into tiny pieces. It's crushed, but the rock stays standing. In fact, we're told it becomes a mountain. It's strong. It's enduring. It's immovable. It stands no matter what it faces. Babylon was conquered. The Medes and the Persians were conquered. Greece and Rome were conquered, but not the rock. Verse 44. It will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. 
Christ's kingdom stands firm. Well, isn't this exactly what Daniel needed to hear? Put yourself in his shoes. You are far away from the promised land. Jerusalem is ruined. The enemy is in complete control. But he's reminded here, God's kingdom lasts forever. Even in the midst of exile and persecution and defeat in battle, God's kingdom stands firm. Surely this must have been such an encouragement to Daniel. He doesn't have to lose hope. There is nothing that Nebuchadnezzar or anybody else can throw at Christ's kingdom that's going to make it fall. It's a wonderfully encouraging dream. And I suppose when you think about it, that's been the story of the world ever since. Men like Nero and Stalin and Dawkins. And they can do nothing to topple Christ's kingdom. So for us, as we think about the weak state of the church. As we prayed this evening. For the small numbers and the disappointment in Edinburgh. Isn't that something that should encourage us? Even when there's opposition to be faced. Even when there's disagreement amongst the members. Even whenever we face crushing, heartbreaking disappointments. Christ's kingdom stands firm it's an everlasting kingdom and because it's everlasting that means that the things that we do in serving Christ actually matter sometimes doesn't it seem like we're wasting our time Sometimes, doesn't it seem like the progress that we are making is incredibly small? But because the kingdom is everlasting, the things that we do for the kingdom are going to last forever. Those small stands that we take for Jesus... Those times that we speak up at school or in the office. Those sacrifices that we make and they seem so insignificant. They have an effect all the way into eternity. This dream should really spur us on in our service of Christ and especially It should encourage us as we think about the church and the world. But as well as that, it should be a warning 
to anyone who hears it. Nebuchadnezzar, the man who received this dream, was the head of gold. He was the single most powerful man in the whole world. And yet, what happens? His kingdom passes away. His hard work is completely undone. He becomes nothing more than just a name in the history books. This passage challenges us. What am I going to work for? It asks us, what is it that gets me out of bed in the morning? Is it my empire? Is it climbing up the career ladder? Impressing the boss? Having the ideal family life? Nothing wrong with any of those things, but they're not going to last. Parents, for example, what's the most important thing to you? Is it that your kids get the best possible education? Or is it that they grow up to be like Jesus? Do you put more effort into getting homeworks ready than you do into explaining the Bible to your children? I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting your children to do well. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious when it comes to work. But can't we spend so much of our time fretting about things that aren't going to last? This dream challenges us to get our priorities right. Christ's kingdom and nothing else lasts forever. And thirdly, and finally, Christ's kingdom is all-conquering. Christ's kingdom is all-conquering. And we see this in verse 44. We're told, it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. So thinking back to the dream, we've got this great statue. And we've got this rock that seems to appear out of nowhere. But look what happens in verse 34. The rock strikes the statue on the feet of iron and clay. And notice what happens. It breaks the statue into pieces. So on the one hand, you have the statue. You have this really impressive monument, this thing that has been crafted by a brilliant sculptor. And on the other hand, you have a simple rock, something that you would find at the side of almost any road, something that is really unimpressive. And this 
bog standard piece of rock strikes the statue. And what is it that happens? The statue breaks into pieces. And I'm convinced, after studying this, that this rock is supposed to point us forward to Jesus Christ. No one made the rock. He just is. He strikes at the foot of the statue. He makes his breakthrough in the days of the Romans. He comes onto the scene and he is completely and totally unimpressive. Do you see the similarities? Jesus came to earth not in glory or in majesty but in weakness and humility. And yet it's this weak unimpressive rock that stays standing. It destroys these kingdoms of men. And notice what happens next. Verse 35. The statue it has been broken into pieces. It's become like chaff. It's been carried away by the wind. And then we're told. The rock that struck the statue. Became a huge mountain. And filled the whole earth. Not only does the rock destroy the statue not only does it grind it into dust but the rock takes over it grows and it grows and it grows until it's unrecognizable from what it once was this simple rock becomes a mighty mountain and it fills the whole earth and Daniel here has just given us an overview of world history. And he has told us it's all about the rock. It is all about Christ's kingdom. It arrives in weakness as he becomes a man and comes to earth. But eventually it crushes man's kingdoms and it fills the whole earth. I don't know if there are going to be history textbooks in heaven. I doubt it somehow. Certainly doesn't sound like most people's ideas of heaven. But if there are, they will all be about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar's empire and the Roman Empire and the British Empire will be footnotes at best. They'll be forgotten. Verse 35, round about the middle of the verse, the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. All of the evil 
in the world. All of the hurt. All of the wrong. All of the wicked things that men have done are going to be wiped out by Christ's kingdom. That's our great hope as Christians for the future. Currently we are living in this part of the dream. The rock has struck the statue but the rock doesn't yet fill the whole earth. We live in this time where Christ's kingdom isn't yet fully grown. It's not as big as we would like it to be. We're not seeing as many converts as we would like to see. We're not seeing as much change within ourselves as we would like to see. Yet, every day, Christ's kingdom advances more. And one day, it is going to fill the whole earth. Do you see how encouraging this is? Maybe you are tempted to despair. Maybe you look at your family or your friends and you're so frustrated that they show no interest in the gospel. Maybe you look at your own life and you are ashamed by the sin that's still there. we have here a vision of the future. Christ's kingdom is going to be complete when Christ returns in judgment. Christ's kingdom is going to grow and grow. The sin in our hearts is going to be driven out for good. Evil men who rebel are going to be crushed and And before Christ returns, for as long as the gospel is preached, sinners are going to turn to Christ in faith. Isn't this something that should give us hope when we struggle? It should keep us going when there seems to be no progress something that should encourage us as well as that it's something that teaches us not to be complacent because just like Nebuchadnezzar a time is coming when all of our achievements will be dust and at that point we will have to give an account for what we've done with the time that we have been given will be left if we haven't been living for Jesus and for his kingdom to feel the weight of his justice just like the kingdoms in this statue this dream as well as teaching us not to be complacent it's something that liberates us 
because it shows us we don't need to keep up with the neighbours. We don't need to prove ourselves to the world because we have something that's far, far better. We are members of Christ's everlasting kingdom. We are following the most successful warrior that there has ever been or there ever will be. So this coming week, I want us to be encouraged. Whenever we're tempted to feel a bit down, I want us to remember the big picture. Whenever we hear distressing news about the state of the world, I want us to know that no matter what happens, King Jesus is going to triumph. He is going to crush all that is evil into the dust. I want us to remember that Jesus is going to rule righteously and forever. Whenever we're discouraged, we can know we are a part of Christ's kingdom. It's a kingdom that lasts forever. And we can know if we believe in Jesus, then we are on the winning side. So let us be encouraged as we see big picture. Amen. Let us stand and come before God in prayer. Father, we thank you for the kingdom of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you for how He became a man, leaving behind the splendour of heaven, for how he became a man who was unimpressive, a man who was humble, and yet it was in his humility and his weakness that he triumphed at the cross over the powers of Satan and sin and death. And we praise you, Father, for how Christ after rising from the dead, has ascended to your right hand. And we praise you for how he rules over this kingdom, which he has purchased with his blood. Father, we praise you for how over 2,000 years the kingdom has continued to grow. We praise you for how you have provided the world with preachers and those who have witnessed about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for how no matter what people have thrown at it, no matter how mighty the enemies of the church have been, Christ's kingdom has stood firm. So, Father, as we think about this big picture, as we consider the future of Christ's kingdom, as we think about the eternity that awaits us as your subjects. We pray that you will give us encouragement. 
We pray that you will help us to keep on going whenever we despair. We pray that you will enable us to be faithful in our responsibilities. Knowing that Christ's kingdom is going to continue to advance. We pray, Father, that you will help us at all times to keep this big picture in the front of our minds. And we pray that you will deliver us from the sin of despairing and of doubting your strength. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.